0: Welcome to the first ever episode 22 of our podcast Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer and as always we're coming to you live from London in the heart of fintech up here in level 39. I'm joined this week by my colleague at 11FS Jason Bates with Simon off this week to Johannesburg and Chris, well I can never really keep up with where Chris is. As always we've got a great show for you today talking about AI bots. What can I say? I like bank bots and I cannot lie. To discuss this topic, we've got a great bunch of guests for you this week. Today, we have Sam Mal. Sam is the director of digital and fintech at NTT Data Americas. Sam is also known as the nicest guy in fintech, which he has well and truly reinforced today. We also have Nigel Vadon, who is the CEO and co-founder of RailsBank and one of the top 40 fintech people in Europe. We've also got Alicia Lee, head of content at RailsBank. Before we get into it, a quick stats update. We've now been downloaded in over 118 countries and we are still the number one business podcast on iTunes in the UK. We're also top 30 podcasts around the countries that we're being downloaded in. You like us. What can I say? You really like us. So go befriend us on Facebook. You can search for us at Fintech Insider on Facebook and like our page. This is where we'll be sharing all of the good videos and other stuff that you'll like. Right, let's get into it with what's been happening in the news this week. Today we are joined by Nigel. Say hi, Nigel. Hello. We've got Sam. Hey. And we've got Alicia. Say hi, Alicia. Hello. We've got the usual crew. Um, where's Chris? Chris is off in Brussels, I believe. I have no idea. And I think right now Simon is over the seas on his way down to Johannesburg, isn't he? he Which is. is an interesting one. So, Jason, it's just me and you from the regular crew. Booyah. So up this week we've got quite a lot of interesting stories and the first one we're kicking off with is a article over in valuewalk.com which shows quite an interesting little collection of statistics that we're seeing. So this is Future of FinTech Infographic and there's some fun ones that come out of here. So we've got a 120% increase of revenue across Europe which for me sort of flies slightly in the face of the statistics we've probably seen over the last couple of weeks, Jason, what do you think?
1: yeah um I guess it's a it's a good infographic it's interesting it's one of those Twitter things where someone pr- creates something pretty and suddenly it's shared everywhere um it is cobbled together with from all kinds of blogs accenture uh statistics cbi insights all kinds of things but yes it seems to imply that um that there's massive revenue i I do wonder who they class as fintech making six point six billion because I don't know that many companies in the UK i could add up to uh, to make that and that yes year on year investments uh, are rising up to 26 billion so
0: it's a strange one they they actually had so the market value of new york being less than the market value of the uk which i've never sort of thought about before in terms of the the sort of fintech presence in terms of where we are but both of them really sort of being dwarfed i, I guess by what we've seen before in terms of investment from the Far East, you know, China, etc., has uh, really got its hands in its pockets now in terms of the, uh, the the movement, hasn't it?
1: But I guess you know, Nigel, you've been involved or really involved in the scene and are advisor and on the board of a variety of startups in the UK. How do you see the investment sort of situation at the moment?
2: Uh, I'm actually raising capital for one of my businesses at the moment. Actually, two businesses. There's still an appetite for UK in the fintech world anyway, because London is such a, a sort of centre of the ecosystem, more ecosystem-driven uh, for fintech. So I haven't seen the drying up of capital, uh, to be honest. Uh, we've seen f- companies evolve to what we call fintech 2.0, 3.0, it's in banding around in the press, which is uh, the next evolution of the fintech world, and money's tracking towards there. China's putting a huge amount of money in just because of the size of the market. That's Black Friday, is a shopping thing in the U.S., is like nailed by one site in in China. Uh, I think that's the same reflection of the the, the amount of fintech companies and investments there. Those numbers in the infographic were just interesting, is the best way to say it. (laughs) It's uh, just trying to think what the point was trying to make about the future of fintech, and is that a prediction, or is it reality, and what the numbers are actually trying to show on on the infographic.
0: I think we've said before the the sort of... Post-fact world, Sam. Not wanting to rub it in, but so, <laughs> thank you. Um, so uh, much. Well, welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast. How how, uh, how do you find this one?
3: Well, I, you know, I think it's interesting because I've been reading so much about China, right? I'm, I'm glad that you mm-hmm. went there. I think it was 30 plus unicorns in tech. So again, mm-hmm. you get to how do you define fintech and separate it from tech? But you see that over and over again. And I know in, in, in talking with a lot of the VCs, when I'm talking with them, I think that fintech 2.0 or 3.0 gets interesting because now we get to when are you going to make money, right? Yeah, I yeah, think I think the patience level for yeah, we're going to float you this and you know get the ping pong table and life's great. There's a ping pong table right across the hall. <laughs> By the way, I find that very funny here at level thirty nine. But the, the patience level I think is dropping as far as that's, that's a good reflection. Is the a lot of the questions are uh, time to profitability
2: mm. comes up a lot more? Which is I'm an old fashioned guy. Time to profitability is an important uh, aspect. You what fun what businesses should make money. Uh, it's a strange, again, this post fact world, <laughs> one of the forgotten facts is profitability is a good reflection. I think Twitter are probably uh, suffering from that at the moment, you see it in the press around who's going to buy them or not, what price they would be. Uh-huh. Mm. That's an interesting one, but
0: I guess one people on the next story that aren't finding it very difficult to find some money right now is Nutmeg. So, a story over on Business Insider by uh, Oscar Williams Groot uh, is that Nutmeg has raised a further $30 million. I guess the Interesting two things out of this one was the British Chancellor Philip Hammond sort of jumped on this one sort of saying, look, we're still number one. Don't panic, people, which is sort of a kind of a reasonably consistent message we're getting out of, uh, you know, government post Brexit is it's all fine, guys. Don't worry, we've got this. Um, But the other interesting point really was the most of the funding actually came from a Hong Kong independent financial advisor. So despite the fact that the money was raised in the UK, all the money was actually coming from China.
1: So is this going to be a a kind of theme of the show? Is it Asia-Pac He's coming to take over the world?
0: Exactly. We're moving. Never mind this all, let's go to Berlin thing. We're all off to Hong Kong. I think that's the mentality.
3: I think it reflects the world we live in, right? Um, Sorry, America, but globalization, right? Oh, God. But still, when you read that article, so they talk about China, they talk about Hong Kong, the investment side of this. They talk about your fintech representative here in the UK is an American woman, right? Eileen Burbage. I find it a very global view when it, when you actually start stripping it down and look at this the borders kind of start to go away a little bit
0: De- definitely
3: I think there's, there's two interesting there's two stories
1: here one is about Nutmeg and for those who don't know it sort of abroad a robo-advisor in the UK pensions and ISAs you know very tax efficient uh, investing uh, 95,000 users as of April 2016 and this is their series C so they've raised probably about $30 million from previous rounds and now, you know, essentially doubling up with a, a new CEO. Um, and it's, it's an interesting time for them, I'm sure, because the robo-advisor space is now, you know, hotting up, taking off. They've, they're the, the big dog to take on, in, at least in the UK. So there, there's, something, uh, there's something about that. And then the second story is the government heralding anything that's worthy of saying you know this this normally would just have been a TechCrunch blog of nutmeg raises money but now it's chancellor points out investment in nutmeg
2: no that's a fair point it's the the flag waving for london and saying so don't worry guys there's a brexit issue going on and uh we're we're in control of it so it's, it's good it's also good to reflection that there's Positivity about investing in London, and there's going to be some other announcements over the next months or so as well, on similar sort of things. What well, my my concern is, that we mentioned Robo it's having its time. One of the things I just I don't get about this market is all the assets are in said private banks. J.P. Morgan Private Bank has four trillion assets under management, which aren't going to switch into Wealthfront or Betterment, for example. So my, I'm just wondering how these markets grow, how these businesses grow. Uh, or the tech becomes something that services existing assets because uh, it is an asset grab. So
3: that's you're, yeah, you're back to facts matter somewhat. <laughs> so Fidelity Definitely. has $2.1 trillion yeah. in accounts yeah. under management. I think Nutmeg has, they said, greater than $500 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you start looking at real numbers yeah. and you get back to profitability, right? If I'm Betterment, and, and I like Betterment. I mean, I like these companies. But how are they going to make money, right? They need to have these under management over a period of time and Keep acquiring customers. Fidelity, the banks, they have that already. Oh, it's, it's, I, mean, I mean, it's
2: true because you're acquiring assets where wealth is generated. So, the wealth is being really generated in uh, Asia PAC at the moment, China. Uh, how much wealth has been gener- really generated in the US and, and, and in Europe? Trying to acquire those assets, they're quite small uh, size assets you gather, you do gather them for life. Mm-hmm. But the the real assets, and I feel, is doing wealth management and robo-advisory. We're really looking at Asia Pac. So, is this a story where potentially Nutmeg have Hong Kong money, and are going to launch in the Far East? That to be one interpret interpretation of that.
0: That would be interesting. It opens up a. Um, an amazing wealth of market at that point in terms of doing it, doesn't it? I think, you know, Jason, you often say this, it's something like Nutmeg isn't really competing with a Fidelity though, is it? It's actually competing, it's not competing with advice as it stands today, it's competing with no advice. So, you know, 500 million under, mm-hmm. under management of something that um, was not a market before because actually they, those people weren't investing then actually that's quite a thing to be sort of heralded, isn't it? In terms of Yeah, I about.
1: mean, we saw Nick Hungerford talk in Edinburgh recently. And the thing that really stuck in my mind from that was he was saying that actually uh, the traditional profile of someone investing in ETFs or, you know, it was, was someone who's older. You know, they've got their mortgage, they've got their pension, they've got a bit of money to spend or to invest. Where do they put it? Uh, and actually further down the the sort of age curve you know the the teens the 20s the early kind of 30s were very much more focused on putting a little bit of money away buying a house because that's kind of the investment but a lot of that has been taken away so his point was you know where does someone in their mid 20s now put their money given that they can't get on the housing ladder and savings account give them no interest at all and that seems to be a kind of growth area for you know for this kind yeah. of uh, of play mm.
0: Next up, we've got a story over on BankingTech.com. So this is about more branches and jobs to go at Lloyds Banking Group. So um, there's a few sort of strange things that always happen in these ones where anybody who talks about anything about RBS or Lloyds always are, are kind of almost mandated to mention the amount of stake that the government actually own in these things like it's sort of some sort of civil service that they're doing. But um, the idea is that they're getting rid of a, a further sort of 45, nine branches and 665 jobs which in itself i don't think is a negative thing arguably these are the things that they should should have probably been doing over the last sort of decade really but have you know maybe held off doing because of you know internal structuring but the idea is that they're going to be putting um mobile vans to go into affected communities to ensure that actually those places have still got those services which is an interesting touch but Feels slightly at odds with, was it the week before we were seeing Lloyds Banking Group putting a bid into the FCA Accelerator as the future of branches? Uh, Feels slightly at odds with
2: that. Well, the van is the future of branches.
1: <laughs> I I'd love to watched. think that an exec somewhere <laughs> said, we should do more mobile banking. And someone said, I've got an idea for that. Somebody really literal Yes, yes, said, yes. said, mobile banking, that's genius. Why didn't we think of that?
2: And the, a- the FCA is now doing like the DVLA. Sort of uh, sort of regulating uh, your MOT, except on, on, on vans and things, perhaps.
3: I don't know. It's an interesting quandary in, in the U.S. Um, and I get back. I keep coming back to facts. You know, you notice a <laughs> oh. the theme with me. I'm sorry, folks. Crazy. So you know? in so in the U.S., we're at our lowest point in the number of branches since 2006. Um, which that's that sounds great, but the reality is we've only seen about a three percent drop in branches. And it doesn't line up with the volume of drop in actual transactions taking place mm-hmm. in the branch. Which I think it's dropped by a third because of tech. And the two don't line up. You almost want to go back in that room where they're coming up with the idea of the van and just start slapping people. Benny Hill, you know, on top of the head. I would love to do that well, I mean, So
1: TSB, uh, now owned by Spanish banking group uh, Sabadell, they're looking to shed 12,000 jobs and close 400 branches by the end of 2017. HSBC have 1,100 branches and are looking to close 100 this year. And Lloyds have announced their you know, 49 branches to close based on a, a footfall, well, a drop in 15% year on year in branch visits. So I, I had a quick look at the um, BBA website that was saying that the, apparently the average visits. Of, uh, at a branch per day, have decreased from 104 in 2011 to 71 in 2016. So there's obviously a you know a drop. There's there's a, a move away from the branch.
3: Well, so it's what you're doing when you go. I mean, uh, the reality is you go to a branch most people at a life event. It, it's the bigger things. It's the mortgage. It's the loan. It's it, it's those. Everything else, for the most part, I the transactional banking. That's that's mobile. Right. I mean, there's no reason for me to do that. And the only reason I'm really going in for the mortgage side of it is I want that advice. I want I want to know that person across from me knows what the hell they're talking about. So you're you know we're changing a little bit the role of what that branch has to do, which changes then the physical footprint of the branch. Because why do I need these massive cues and the velvet ropes and the stupid pen with the the link on it, right?
1: But then if you compare it with something like uh, Babylon. Which is a a service that connects doctors with patients. Oh, damn! I
3: thought we were actually talking about Babylon. I got really excited. I thought
1: we were going back a couple thousand years. (laughs) Um, So there's a there's an online there's a mobile app service that actually allows you to have consultations with doctors. Which again is a very kind of personal you know thing. There's something you want to sort out, but it's very much on your time. It's with specialists. You know, you could easily see a service just like that. Uh, That delivers, you know, the right kind of thing and doesn't need a a, a branch.
2: Saying that, there's one uh, UK bank will remain nameless. Have a very special use for their branches. You fill in the form online. It's really good and digital. You then get a letter in the post which says, "Please go see the branch and continue the onboarding in the branch." And uh, I did this for my daughters uh, because they've got a great kiddies product in this particular bank, and go to the branch. They're then really nice people in the branch, because they have to be, because you're very frustrated turning up expecting a digital experience. And the next thing to do, you get another letter in the post a week later, which says, here's the next piece, and here's the other letters you're getting in the post. So, end to end, it's a six week onboarding process. Nice. So, that's why they have branches, yeah. the traditionalists.
3: Well, and we expect. see that. So, I live in Florida, and apologies to everyone listening <laughs> to this. Um, and we just went through a hurricane where I live. Mm. So we're dealing on the insurance side. If you ever want an industry more frustrating than banking, go into insurance. So an individual that works for me, her house got wiped out. It's gone. They're living in a van they're living in a van they in a trailer out in front of their home. So the, the check, the insurance check came to them, but the mortgage company has to also sign it. So that means it had to be mailed one to her. She got the check. She has to mail it back to the mortgage company. And then it'll finally get routed and then come back to her. So think about that process when we talk about faster payments in real time. And an actual, that's a use case, a real-time need. Your house is gone. I need the money in my hand now. And yet we're still dealing with U.S. mail and signatures and everything that makes no sense on a digital show like this. But that's the reality. And the frustration of the individuals because they need to get paid to live.
1: In in this case, to actually live and survive, yes. But you wonder how that kind of journey comes about because... And it must be down to silos and tradition and mm. and moving things, you know, uh, the iterative design and development of it. You know, the um, the government digital service in the UK mm. has done some amazing work with service design, where you get individuals who start to go across silos, across products, across organizational boundaries to actually design from the customer in. Mm. And uh, and I'm sure, I, well, I know that there are banks looking at, at that kind of angle, The how do we we rationalize this in order from the customer's perspective it makes sense rather than from the product silo you know yes, organizational yes. boundaries it makes sense
2: so it's the old traditional left hand side customer prior right hand side customer experience after you're in the middle for that journey and it's looking at that sort of end-to-end which uh, even in an analog world you can nail and do extremely well and uh, in a digital world you just do it better but uh, even products uh, where you've got to consult with people if they still consume it well as a journey you're a happy happy customer at the end the outcome's happy customer but if it's all frustrating and disjointed that's the frustrating piece
0: I think this is the this is my concern about this really is not that they're shutting branches it's the mm. fact that the alternative isn't there to actually provide the sort of richness and the deepness of the services that actually everybody needs you know I know we talk about this quite a lot with uh, people that we work with, but you know branch was the full experience and actually unfortunately it's been used as the safety net for pretty bad investments in digital for the last sort of decade, quite frankly in terms of where we're going so if you shouldn't suddenly shut all of the safety nets mm-hmm. and actually you don't have those smiley happy, slightly frustrated people apologizing for all of their terrible systems, then you don't have that papering over the cracks, do you? Mm. So maybe what's gonna be seen here is the the cracks are gonna become way more evident between the people who are moving towards, you know, truly digital capability and those who are just still digitizing the old analog stuff.
2: Mm. I,
1: wow. I think there's another point on here on I, I was just looking at what proportion of the of the bank's six hundred and sixty five jobs, you know, represents And uh, as far as I could find out, Lloyds currently employ 75,000 people. So just for comparison, how many people do you think Facebook employs globally? 15,000. Wow. 15? Yes. To handle 1.8 billion monthly active users.
2: Crazy. That's insane. So you think, what's
1: that? So so Lloyds is five times bigger than Facebook in terms of headcount. Um you know that's that's just crazy
0: deal with that operating cost um so moving on we've got an interesting article over on city am by rebecca smith so we've got most fintech employees don't value diversity in the workplace which seemed like quite an interesting statement to make jason what did you make
1: of this one i mean from from not a theoretical from an experience perspective uh monzo was built you know around diversity around it trying to ensure that that there are there was enough diversity in race and gender right at the start that that seeds the right kind of organization that then grows into something that is diverse mm-hmm. because i think we knew fairly early on that we were going to be a very technical organization and it's very easy to then suddenly have a room of 30 male engineers which actually makes it quite difficult then to bring in women later. So I think there is something about how you start these things uh, and and the benefits that that, that diversity can bring um, that, that's super important.
4: I think diversity gives you a competitive edge when it comes to perspectives.
0: Well I think it definitely does from perspectives and it probably does from further attraction of talent as well, doesn't it? That I think well. there's, a, there's almost a domino effect of, of this that actually if you suddenly are a mm-hmm. bunch of you know white Middle aged men in a room, you're probably going to continue to recruit white middle aged men, which is pretty much evidenced in most of the banks in the UK as well,
2: in terms of what we're seeing. It takes huge leadership to almost break down barriers with big organisations. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of uh, uh, sort of literature, I think Lou Gerstner's book about getting elephants to dance, that's a very, mm-hmm. just <laughs> the title, uh, was clear enough when he changed the lot of the country on IBM. But it, it, it is a huge task. You decide either I'm going to get, go for new markets, and new products, or I'm going to change the culture, and that's going to give me new markets and new products mm-hmm. because the, the right people are there, and you attract
3: the, the intelligent people, the smart people. So. I can give you a good out on this because this is difficult, right? Because, again, at this table, like you said, yeah. there's... Five white guys all middle-aged staring at each other. Um, And then we all keep looking at Alicia like, would you please talk? (laughs) Please, for the love of God, don't let us say something stupid. Uh, Kara Swisher does a great podcast, uh, Recode. um, And she's who I want to be when I grew up for my podcast. But she actually did a a compilation of all the interviews she's done that touches on diversity, so gender, race, everything, um, on uh, Recode, Decode. And I would suggest that's an hour, and it's not one person. She takes snippets from all these massive interviews. So it's ahead of Google, it's ahead of Microsoft, it's government employees. I would say throw it to her and to your listeners, listen to that, and then maybe we can come back and get her on a show and do one. But it's really, really good.
0: Sounds good. Do your homework, people, and then we'll come back and talk about that one again.
1: Uh, I do think there's, there's one point around making it a priority, though, or, or actually putting the effort in. Because I think it's very easy, especially in very technical roles, to by default suddenly hire a completely male workforce. Mm. Um, but that, that is tough. I guess it's to come back to your, your point um, that it takes effort to, to go out. And, you know, if you look at the top GitHub contrib- contributors, the top couple of hundred you know, people who are doing the most projects, getting the most code in, experts in their field, there are very few sort of women in there. And it takes effort. It takes real, real effort. And I think early on in, uh, in Monzo, you know, um, Leah, Jonas, Hugo, a few people got together to make it a priority and make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think there is something there about actually doing it, you know, making yeah. it happen because you know that that creates a better company
0: moving on to the next one so it won't really matter I guess whether it's men or women because AI is taking over so we've got a a, a piece over on mattermart.com which is saying that AI is the new new thing and it's taking over the world which is quite an interesting statement to make so this is all of the artificial intelligence the machine learning kind of all of the buzzwords we love to uh, sort of spew out but um, really it's going to change what we're doing and how we're doing every day what do you think?
2: Uh, I'm I'm a sort of a old cynic, I'm afraid. I'm the, uh, for, as as a podcast, I'm not one of the grey hair. It, there's great advantages in AI. I remember when I was at university many many moons ago, there was great advances in AI. So it's a, I, I feel it's a lot of emperor's new clothes for some applications, and we talk to guys who are leading lights in in this, and it's not uh, the evangelist, or it's not the uh, uh, a lot of the media, there's some very good use cases where AI and machine learning is exceptional and it has and its applicability, usefulness, contribution, and things. Uh, unfortunately, we got the science fiction guys uh, all sort of saying it's going over here, which is great having vision. And I remember watching Tomorrow's World in the 1970s, uh, and that is where AI and robots were doing your washing and your cleaning and your cooking and things. Uh, that's my feeling we're in the same sort of space at the moment. Back in 1970s, tomorrow's world, is the AI still today on there. So I think it's, it's got a massive contribution uh, in certain use cases. Uh, compliance is one use case, got a, 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 a good contribution. Uh, chess, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Go as well. Uh, and some, there's lots of other useful things. And it is going to be something useful. But I don't think it's going to be the panacea of everything so it's a great hype thing at the moment which will push up p-values investment values etc dig under the covers uh, i think we can be more pragmatic in five years time or two mm-hmm. years time this is good applicability
0: are, are we not getting into a point though where humans are just too risky you know we're, we're in a in a world where ppi has cost was it 50 billion due to inconsistencies of selling processes and management and evidenceable of, of action in terms of what you're doing with the customer. So are we not at a point now where it is just easier to have a, even the, the dumbest level of AI actually
3: managing through decision trees to actually ensure consistency of action with a customer? So our, I, I work for NTT, um, so this massive Japanese conglomerate, within financial services and insurance our biggest piece of work we're doing is robotic process automation. We cannot stop selling that; it is massive, which addresses that mm. specific point that you're making, which makes us very interesting because we're doing job displacement, essentially. Yeah, and I'm so desperately trying hard not to get into politics. We're, we're replacing lower end, lower position jobs mm. with that. And um, so, what is robotic? Robotic process automation. Uh-huh. So, anything that can is repetitive. Anything, and I, and I am saying anything, um, from a system standpoint. So when you think of, we talked about processes, right? So that back office, middle office processes for a loan, for example. Um, this isn't going in and, uh, think of macros back in the day, right? Sure. So you used Excel. It was very simple. You turned the macro on, it copied what you were doing. Yeah. Think about robotic process automation taking that uh, turbo in it to so, where it mm-hmm. can learn As part of that process so it's just not going in and saying do these five tasks in this way it's watching the tasks being done by a person and mimicking it but also learning from it and fine-tuning and getting better and better and better and like you said your ppi constantly keeps going down
0: and there's a there's an amazing amount of companies that have used that to almost bridge the gap between a number of the systems you know most of the organizations that we sort of deal with on a day-to-day basis are almost victims of the success you know they bought a company and it's integrated to a certain degree and actually robotic automation is almost used as a uh, bridging the gap, shall we say, in terms of kind of where those guys are going. Uh, one of the companies I've come, come across a lot is uh, Blue Prism in this space. Yes. You know, they do some really amazing work. I think Bank of Ireland have used them extensively to to almost take out as much paper as they can from the existing systems. Sometimes I, I think the, the challenge with that is that the existing systems become... So efficient that actually you can't justify replacing them and actually moving beyond where those limitations
3: actually are, which is a weird sort of paradox again, isn't it? Right. Well, it becomes the, you're now dependent upon a flawed system, yeah. which is, becomes even more interesting. We talk about this with, with banks, for example, on the core platform mm. And, mm. and going through and developing a whole new platform. Yes. And every time you do that to a bank executive... The sweat bursts out, just, you know, the dollar, everything about them. They look at that and go, oh, my God, you don't realize what we're asking. Yeah, we do. We get it. But, you know, it's to that. You're, you're, you're actually you're going back and supporting a flawed system when you're doing that. I also agree with you immensely on what you just said, that we overhype this to no end. Um, think about how many things in, in our industry we overhype. Blockchain's going to solve world hunger. I've literally seen articles that say that. That's the biggest lump of bullshit I've ever read. Um, same with AI, right? It's going to solve everything under the sun. You know, we, we see that everything kind of goes in these cycles, and then we get five years down the road. Remember when Google Glass came out? That was going to solve everything. Yeah, but come on. I, I know. wouldn't compare machine learning no, to, I to Google Glass. <laughs> Although Apple now is investing in Glasses, I just, again, read today. Mm-hmm. And, and a, in a different... So I, I just like it when it gets past the hype cycle yeah, and we get yeah. into reality. And, well, and AI, I think, is going to be massively disruptive. I really do. I'm one of those people that believe in it. I also don't think two years from now, we're going to see that to, to the extent that I keep reading. Yeah, I think the uh, you know similar to
0: blockchain for me. Um, AI just suffers from such a weird sort of lament of thousands of different things and it's like actually when you start seeing very simple use cases being used to affect you know thousands of back office processes then actually it is a great thing to do but I think we've you know AI particularly we've probably had our hands burnt very frequently by almost the consumer experience of that and probably you know looking at the next story
1: the the best I just want to make a uh, one point on the kind of AI side though can I well, Can I yeah, it was a perfect bridge, but feel free. I know, I know, I have ruined your <laughs> you your segue. Right. I was like, "Don't segue, don't segue." Um, no, I, I I agree with um, I agree with Sam on the kind of hype cycle, but also similar to blockchain, it's um, it's that misinterpretation of it. You know, blockchain is Bitcoin, uh, and in the same way, AI is that thing we see in the movies. Mm. You know, that's that thing that acts like a person where actually when you look at the the breakdown of what's within that, you know, machine learning, genetic algorithms, speech processing, natural language processing, computer vision, you know, so many different components, none of them acting like some robotic overlord that, you know, can fall the Turing test. And yet, and there have been such amazing advances in the last few years, just with deep learning and a variety of different sort of algorithms, that we're really starting to see a kind of, you know, renaissance uh, a moment where actually these, these algorithms and, the, and especially machine learning where you've got um computer having the ability to learn without being explicitly programmed to do something, suddenly everything from driving cars to being an underwriter is within the scope of some algorithm somewhere. Mm-hmm which just, uh, I agree, it's not next year. Yes, it's overhyped now, um, but it's world-changing. Suddenly, no one's got a job, you know, or a, a vast majority of people are being replaced by systems
3: somewhere. And I think it's when the whole ecosystem gets at quantum computing, right? If you really want to have a fun read, you start reading about what quantum computing really means Sure. and when what we see coming. And, and then I agree with you, those leaps start coming a hell of a lot faster than, you know, instead of going, what are we going to do in, you know, 2020. We'll be doing. What are we doing at eight o'clock tonight? Because damn, that'll be fascinating. <laughs> what turns?
1: So, can you do a great bridge from that now, David?
3: Or
0: well, I, I think what you were talking about there is it, like the leaps. I think the the interesting leaps that you were talking about there about the the, the changes. It's been very difficult for us to sort of predict them. Sammy, you, you were talking about this earlier on in terms of, you know, what individuals predicted as what the technology of the future would be in Back to the Future or any of these things that we were seeing. And none of them have really kind of come true. Have they? Where's my hoverboard? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of all of the stuff that we did expect. But,
4: Where's my blade runner?
0: But but the fun thing is, is that actually at the point where computers are actually defining what these things will be, and I think it was last week, was it one of the Google AI things that have actually created its own um, encryption setup that people don't understand but it works fantastically in terms of how it's working so you know, at the point where our vision of the future isn't the future, it's the vision that the machines are defining those things are going to be, that's going to be quite an interesting thing to, to see. I think one thing that's probably definitely not the vision of the future is my experience with using Siri on the train uh, in its early days in terms of where we're going. But that doesn't seem to have distilled the uh, passion by PayPal to actually implement this. So this is an article over on Finextra that PayPal is allowing everybody to send cash with Siri now. To over thirty countries, which is an interesting one to, to do. So, what does everybody think about this? And are any of you going to be using this? It's an interesting
2: one. Uh, back to your comment on the on a train. Uh, talk to Siri on a train uh, about your financial life. Oh, your uh, is probably an interesting use case because I think most people want to keep it private uh, at home. Uh, We discussed actually earlier on uh, that it it could be useful at home, and for people who are also visually impaired, and and things that could be very very useful. Would I use it? Possibly at home, but not uh, really in public or anywhere anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But applicability to give more inclusion for people who a can't read or write, are able to access financial services for the first time for products like Pocket and other. Uh, company care and things if you're able to link up that and uh, and other abilities Mm. that is a good social uh, sort of contribution as well yeah potentially
0: i definitely find myself sort of coming back to siri a little bit but it's usually it's actually via other things like my my voice calling in my car has started to make me feel better about siri and buying an alexa has started to make me feel better about siri which is it's kind of weird in terms of sort of doing it but I do worry that you suddenly start having, you know, four different voices in the house and none of them know what to, to quite, who to respond to and what they're doing, but... Well, again, if you're lonely, you can get the thing to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very useful. Well, Alexa? Yes. Yeah. So what do you use for it for at home?
4: Um, Spotify, listening Coldplay. Just Coldplay. Just Coldplay.
0: That's quite a sad
4: household.
2: Coldplay quite, <laughs> it's quite how mellow. dare you?
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, this gets back to technology and how we use it, right? The yes. internet, the power of the internet is unbelievable, yet we're still sending cat memes and crap to each other. right? Um, I, I like I like voice in the private, so in my home, in the car, those use cases. Outside of that, I'm just not a fan. Yeah, And uh, yeah, it gets back to what am I going to use it for? Right? But, but it's still Struggle. so... So young, so mature. I, I
1: mean, if yeah, uh, really if, if Web has been around for you know what twenty, thirty years, and mobile is only sort of the last sort of seven to ten years, and now voice is is you know it's only yesterday. It's so sure. so young that actually, as kind of old fogey sit around going, "What's this voice thing?" But there's so much. um Sort of rich capabilities, but it's an entirely different interface. You know, there are problems with discovering what commands are. There are problems with using it, with authenticating, with all kinds of things. And at the moment, we can just do the most simplest, Mm. um, you know, journeys. Siri set a uh, an alarm, set a timer, uh, send money to someone who I already know that you know, order a pizza that I've already ordered to the place where I ordered it before. It's just like the you know, the very, very start of this whole new interface. But, on the other hand, we're living in Star Trek.
3: I mean, come on, people. <laughs> I, like. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I think you just said something that's incredibly important. We keep shrinking the interface to the point where there isn't an interface, right? I mean, it was from the web to the phone, and you lost, you know, the physical space. And now you moved into voice. There is, you are the interface. I mean, mm-hmm. that has gone. So I think that gets...
4: It's like Incredibly in a movie. It's like in a movie called Her, yeah, where the, all the screens are disappearing, and you're left with the human experience. Yeah. But, but and important. but the interaction
3: was always private. Yeah. Between yeah. in the movie.
4: Yeah, yeah. in the movie. <laughs> it was private.
0: I think the my experience with Siri took a turn. I accidentally smashed my phone recently, so I kind of got out of the shower, listening to music in the shower. Coldplay? It wasn't Coldplay. (laughs) Wow. Accidentally threw my phone at the nightstand, which basically resulted in glass everywhere. So like the screen, the Touch ID, none of it actually functioned in any way, shape or form. I was able to use my phone for two days, almost functioning solely using Siri, uh, calling, all of these different things. It's almost when you, you're you fo- forced to engage with it, actually you start to see the benefits of doing it. And I think for, you know, areas of accessibility, areas where actually just it's not practical to be using your hands. you know. I, spoke to you, Jason, about it where, you know, this weekend I was making pizza with my kids and actually I'm like up to my elbows in flour and whatnot. And, you know, the ability to ask Alexa to put a timer on or put on Coldplay or you know, all of these <laughs> things that are kind of hands-free requirements in terms of sort of doing it, then they're, they're great. You know, I think the thing that I've kind of come to find with Siri is it's, it's kind of like a lovable idiot. <laughs> you know you, you come to sort of deal with it in a, in a way that actually you make up for some of the foibles around doing it it's it's the the sort of dory out of nemo every time you ask it it's like you're asking it for the first time you know with alexa i'm finding there's more continuity you know you you can r- ask it follow-up questions yeah. or you can ask it to repeat things uh in a way that actually i've not found in other ones so you know, increasingly the sophistication of doing it. One thing they definitely don't prepare Alexa for is two children in the background when you're trying to <laughs> talk to it. I have to say. Really struggles with that. But um but yeah, no, good good experiences this this one. I can see voice really becoming a becoming a thing for um, you know, future integration for sure. But I think
1: it's it's Uh, it becomes a thing I don't I'm not sure I see it replacing every screen a picture paints a thousand words a diagram and a nice interface still has its place Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see to see its niche because we're just playing with it at the moment, we're just making it do things we've done before. You know, where is it really going to come into its own? So that you're in a house and can, you know, can really talk to it like your butler without uh,
3: without using the horrible phrase "channel." It's one more touch point, it's one more integration it is. point yeah. that we can now use, which is great. I
0: but it. but I, I think we you know we we talked about this last week, Jason. But it's you know we're almost judging a technology in its infancy, and it's it's very difficult to judge something in its infancy of what it's going to be when it grows up. Um, Obviously, we're all sort of sheep and we're paying a thousand pounds for a device for something that's in its infancy in terms of what we're doing. But, you know, I guess as these things mature, then actually we'll start to see a great deal of sophistication actually coming through to it.
1: Well, Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Google's just getting into this as well. So bringing out the Google Assistant with, you know, a smartphone that's the only phone that actually has Assistant on it. So you might argue that, that Google's, you know, taking a big aim at this in terms of uh, devices, you know, all around, and arguably are extremely well placed to use their, you know, capabilities with data search, machine learning, everything else, in order to uh, to make it succeed. So I'm I'm really interested to see what Google does in the space.
2: What I want to see is I want to see Sonos do something in this space, because so I keep losing my phone somewhere in the house, and so I want to change the phone uh, the song on the Sonos. So Sonos needs to come out with Sonos on, play me this or something without having to phone. That would really change uh, as a experience of, of an amazing product. On that. But it, it's it's amazing how many things are voice
0: activated that you didn't realise are going to be like even like the GoPro that's sitting on the that that is voice controlled in terms of doing it. It's a nightmare and the battery lasts about fifteen <laughs> seconds if you've got it activated. <laughs> but it works really well when it does. So. You know, it's almost just going to be a standard built in alternative to, to touch, I think, mm. pretty soon.
2: I think Honda got it very wrong in their, their original hands free assets in the cars because you use, uh, the, trying to interact with it was impossible. <laughs> trying to they get it to open, sort of, sort of uh, take the phone off the hook type of thing, uh, was it took about five minutes to get the words right. And that's repeating them and we're learning with it. So that sort of was early, uh, sort of of, mm. of the early infancy of the tech, which really put me off it completely. So I never, a, a Siri just used the stupid things when it first came out. But now it seems like it has moved on to be useful, especially in the car places where you do your hands-free cooking mm. car uh, and other uh, other places it's
1: interesting i guess for both ai and for voice control mm. like we've been we've been through the uh, the valley of disillusionment where yes. ai yes. will take over the world oh actually it's not that good and yeah. voice controlled everything and like it's almost coming back around and that second time around with the right technology suddenly makes makes it very
2: different mm. I remember pre-internet being cat pictures it was <laughs> when the True. internet first came out and Mosaic uh, was, was released years and years ago on a trading floor. The most amazing thing that the, the, all the rest of the guys on the floor were finding, emailing the mate to the right <laughs> rather than talking to them. So it's concept of email, stop talking to your, your mate to your right or your left. And then uh, my colleague uh, Clive and, uh, and a few others, Clive's co founder of Rails Bank, Nick Borner, was co founder at uh, Currency Cloud. We were all at Swiss Bank Core at the time. And we suddenly realized you can use this to trade because it's connecting two people. Uh-huh. Why don't we uh, trade institutionally on, on, the, on the Internet? So we saw that sort of, the, like all these things, they have another use. Yeah. So the whole cat pictures uh, world and the whole emailing and mate world has evolved into this world where there's useful technology.
3: And yet I yeah. watch my teenage daughter have a sleepover with all her friends. They're upstairs and I'm hearing no noise. I'm freaking out that they're doing something. And I go upstairs and they're all texting each other. Just literally sitting next to each other. That's it's how going full circle. It's yes, going a full circle. not a simple word being said, but eight girls constantly. That's well, the, I, that's the actually,
1: conversation. there are plenty of modern startups that l- exist on Slack. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, as a messaging platform with fifteen people in the room, all yeah, on the same know, table, having water cooler talk through the uh, through a messaging. Walk platform. out the store. Hello, yeah. yeah, we we don't know any of those, Jason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, moving on. Um, so we've got a, a, an interesting one over on Harvard Business Review <coughs> talking about simple digital technologies that can reduce healthcare costs. And I think this one is pretty much on the premise that uh, preventative measures are the best cure, really, in terms of these. So we've got to the point now with simple digital technologies that they're referred to here as digital therapeutics which is a another buzzword to to add to the list of bingo that we'll play at the end of the year um but idea that simple senses simple capability uses of uh, of kind of big data and analytical capability can actually start being much better preventative measure than almost waiting until there's a problem and now as a man and a british man i basically have to have my leg falling off before i go to the doctor so i'm not too sure about this one in terms of uh, in terms of doing it but what do you guys think it's clearly cultural.
3: Um, yeah, I they, think, yeah, I think this will take off yeah. to a point stateside. Our, our medical is an absolute disaster. I mean, the way that we we manage it. But you know, I've read con- consistently about you know the shift from a doctor's role to be you know reactive and not proactive, right? Mm-hmm. And and how you're insured. Yeah, for yeah. example, we do that in, in in cars now all the time, where we monitor your. Your behavior and how good of a driver you are impacts how much you're paying. And what if you did the same to a degree? It's a very U.S.-centric view. But what if you did the same on you for your insurance and you as a person? you know What's your blood sugar level? What's your weight? What's your... All that data being fed in.
0: Especially at a point where Trump gets rid of Obamacare as well, right? Then uh, it's like you've got to make he sure you're just, you are <laughs> just,
3: just ask him. He's in excellent health. I'll, I'll tell you, he has large hands. But um, I guess
0: the, we, we talked about this like, a little bit on uh, a recent insurance show, didn't we, in terms of where we're at. And actually, at the point where individual data is almost defining the premium, it becomes
2: quite a scary place to be, doesn't it? Does it does, becomes inclusion, not inclusion. Exactly. Yeah. If you've got the data and you can send your data because you've got the devices, etc., yeah. you can create a society that is the haves and have-nots, mm-hmm. which is quite a... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of debate on, on various media about that, uh, about that subject. It's also about owning your data, and there's startups like Trunomi who are trying to give you the ability to permission your mm-hmm. data for people to do things with, whether it's a market to you, the KYC, you, uh, your medical, etc. So this whole uh, internet of things, as we call it, or personal devices and devices contributing your car data, your personal stuff, your house, whether you're going in and out for house insurance and things, does take a, uh, does question the ownership and who owns your data, and can you put the citizen back in control of their data? Mm-hmm. And uh, I would personally like to be able to see uh, a startup uh, like a Trinomi or others allowing me to control my data and sell my data. But then does question the other thing where mm. the haves and have-nots. Yeah. Do you get uh, complete exclusion from your rights as a human being in society that you you can't be medically looked after because you haven't shared your data? Mm. So you haven't got a risk profile. It's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? You get into a point where... In one sense, people
0: being held res- accountable for their actions mm-hmm. is sensible, but you get into a place where things like, uh, you know, a, a, a inherited disease that actually was nothing to do with your decision-making or anything, playing, possibly playing a significant oh. impact on your ability to, you know, be engaged in mm-hmm. normal life, which is
2: quite worrying, isn't it, really? So Here's a, a real-world uh, example there is a, an individual who, uh, the the startup, you know, 12 as uh, a startup, uh, who you could photograph all your assets, all your things you have in life. Mm. And this gentleman uh, apparently photographed everything. And he's about 75 years old, about yeah. to die and everything. And suddenly described he's massively wealthy, which if he'd known that 25 years ago, and he's had all his assets for many, many years, he'd have lived a very different life. And it's bizarre how the data illuminated what he actually had. Would he have had a better life? Don't know. I have no idea whether he had a good life or not. But it's an interesting story. The data can show different behaviours and ask different questions of people.
1: So I also read a, something else in this article, which was actually has some implications for, for fintech, for finance as well. Because actually when, you, when it defines um, digital therapeutics, actually a lot of what it's talking about is behaviour change. So it talks about diabetes prevention, about losing weight, eating healthier, talks about smoking cessation, talks about medication adherence, because more than half of medications prescribed for chronic disease are not taken as directed. So it's interesting. We go back to AI machine learning. We talk about Alexa. And something that actually reminds you to take that pill has a a therapeutic benefit. So we get to that point where... Uh, the real time intelligent sort of contextual nature of digital services allows the sort of behavioral modification of yeah. uh, the the owners of of you know that technology mm. so no longer do i have to think about it all the time but i'm reminded gently at the right point or you know my behavior through little rewards and nudges can be can be changed and I think that that, uh, both for for um, medicine and for for health, but equally for finances, you know, has a lot a lot of play, a lot of interesting ways in which it can be used.
0: I think that you know the health tech angle, even like just simplistic things, you know, somebody really should just create for the NHS an app that they give anybody with medication to do it. You know, most cancer sufferers are given fifteen different medications to take. You know, this one five times a day, this one two times a day, this one once every three days. For the average person, they're just going to like completely lose the plot in terms of doing that, and mm. this can be the difference between life and death in for mm. for people. But equally, the amount of medication that's prescribed and handed out, but not used, is millions and millions of pounds of wastage. So, you know, let's quit fintech and go build a, a simple health app. Um, so moving on, we have the last story of the week. We have a story over on Engadget, which is about Twitter expanding the mute and report features to combat abuse, which sort of slightly feels to me like sort of shutting the gate after the horse well and truly bolted from this one. But what do you guys think? Has anybody witnessed abuse on Twitter or uh, any sort of side effects that you think you would use the mute or report thing? I get quite a lot of abuse from you, Sam, on Twitter, but... Uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I, I keep talking, coming back to politics. I mean, this is a big story stateside, more than just Twitter with Facebook and, and false news or, or your narrative that you get. And I thought it was interesting that Facebook said it would be very, very difficult to weed out what's, what's real and what's not. And there was an article today where 35 students got together and solved it in like half a day or wrote an app. We'll see how, how good that is, but... Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating.
0: Will it will it take into account though, like British sense of humor? Because like no, there's, there's certain words that stateside <laughs> would be seen defensive, but if I called you them, would actually be quite chummy yeah. in the UK. So
3: it's a. Do you I mean? Context is key in these things, isn't it? This is a this is a massive bit of conversation in the US right now. How much of an election was impacted by social hmm. and, and you know President Trump? <laughs> <laughs> God <laughs> <for> <laughs> sakes. Can't believe those words came out of my mouth. But, Orange is a new black. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But he, you know, he has flat out said he won because of social. Yeah. And his understanding of the medium. Mm-hmm. And he's right. I agree. I mean, he, he but, but does we grasp it. But about
0: this last week. That wasn't it? Something like sixty percent of the engagement that he was getting through social was channels
3: was bots. Yeah. yeah. But it, it doesn't matter because people don't know. Post, of his eleven million world. users, 35, Yeah. And that a, a large percentage of those were bots. Out of. Um, uh, Eastern Europe, out of uh, uh, Bulgaria? I can't no, remember. Um, Macedonia. Macedonia. Yeah, Macedonia had a massive
0: part of this. this so was, this was fascinating. This was Putin paying for somebody
1: to just like <laughs> yeah, retweet lots and lots Allegedly, of yeah. Allegedly. 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 Have you spoken to the 11FS lawyers recently? Yeah, I need to check in. <laughs> um, the, the thing that then amuses me with, with that example is when you look at what you can actually report an issue as on yeah. Twitter, um, you wonder how many of Trump's uh, tweets would have ticked one of the boxes, you know, is res- disrespectful or offensive, yeah. includes targeted harassment, Tick. directs hate against a race, religion, gender, or orientation, Definitely, yeah. threatening violence. Yeah. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, it's like, Full it's all house, of those. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it is closing the uh, the gate after so the... So
0: arguably, if we would have had this pre-election, <laughs> then maybe it wouldn't have happened, is that what you're
3: saying? No. I wouldn't I'm say that. I'm not saying that at all. No, no. no. I'm not. But, but is it... Is it did it have an influence on a major event in history? I don't know how major an event in history. From my personal history and impacting me, I, I think so. It was it was one of the many factors that feeds into it. But I, I agree, it's way too late. That door's been open. You know, I mean, it's this this one's tough, and this this gets back to the ethical side. We can do this about AI. We can do this. We just had this conversation on on health and my personal data, because that that's nirvana when it used to be in banking was giving you an offer at that personal level, right? We all, back in the day, wanted to be able to do that.
1: But but this is, it's also whack-a-mole. It's also, exactly. I go and create a Twitter account, and I go and throw some abuse at you, and you report it, and that's gone. So I go and create another Twitter account exactly. and throw some more abuse at you, and away we go. Yeah. So you had oh, that before. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: now, now I know where they're all coming
3: from. <laughs> oh, David.
1: Um, so maybe the problem isn't in how you report it or how you kind of manage it once it's happened, but it's about identity. And it's about this whole thing with yeah. should social really be an anonymous uh, platform or should it actually be tied to an individual with some responsibility, you know, based on that. Yeah. And, and even pseudo, um, an anonymous so that actually I could have Mickey Mouse as my username, but Twitter knows who I am. And I verified that yes. so that if I go and throw abuse at you as Mickey Mouse in some strange voice, <laughs> some passive aggressive Disney thing, um, that, you know, you can report me and, you know, Twitter can send the, uh, the police around to my, my house. There's just, there seems to be that that problem with, you know, anonymity brings out the worst in people. It
0: Yeah. yeah. There's some weird irony there that isn't Disney one of the people who are meant to be buying Twitter. <laughs> so, like, this is Mickey Mouse's whole plan, just to give abuse to people. Uh, and, on, and on that note, maybe we'll uh, hear from our sponsors and come back in two seconds. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. And welcome back. And what we are going to have a bit of a brief discussion about is, ironically, discussion AI. So what we're sort of seeing here is actually the, the rise of the chatbot. Dun, dun, dun. And everybody's getting sort of rather excited about this one in terms of actually where we're going. You know, with probably AI, blockchain, and a few other sort of buzzwords that are being banded around, chatbots are probably getting the most attention from both an investment perspective and potentially the levels of hype that we're actually seeing through this. So we've got a of articles that have come out probably the best one being on venturebeat.com which is talking about why chatbots are the last bridge to true ai and for me there's a, a huge amount of, of sort of problems that this sort of brings up similar to some of the other discussion points that we've had really is is it just too soon to really be judging chatbots as a as a technology can we really say whether this is ready for prime time or is it too soon to be sort of judging it in terms of what it's doing what do you guys think
2: I've seen some actually interesting ones that work quite well. Uh, the Enterprise Bot, which is a small startup, actually worked uh, well for helping solve simple questions. And it got rid of a load of phone calls that were... So the call centers could actually focus on uh, value-add to customer as opposed to uh, the the mundane... And that seemed to be a very good use case. I don't know what's going on the back end of it, but it just seemed to solve that, that, that particular use case. But also, it's uh, interesting from a an ex- user experience perspective. Is chatting an easier user experience than filling in forms? And uh, forms, you've got progressive disclosure and other bits of UX that can help do things. Uh, that's the ultimate uh, sort of crystallization of, of progressive disclosure mm. is a chat. Because it becomes a conversation, and then do chatbots get uh, put out of business by Alexa, for example? So the whole con- there's a conversation earlier on about does voice again become the UX uh, of the future, and are chatbots something on the, on the way to get getting there? So it is as you as you're saying, it brings together the AI machine learning piece, the, the new UX piece, and perhaps the the voice piece at, uh, at some point. As you can see, I've considered it's usefulness, because sim- like all design, the best designs are absolutely simple. They work incredibly well, they're very consumable and very frictionless. And, and a chat is a very simple thing. So I, I, I'm, I'm quite a, a fan of seeing UX that way, because it's, it's simple. Whether it will become de facto, don't know yet. Mm. But it, uh, if you can get it to get rid of the mundane, and let people focus on the value, uh, it it's positive. What, what do you think, Zach?
3: Well, I think that the one, and I, it's the same thing, I read a couple of use cases where I, I get a little bit more happier with it. You know, so for the example, back in the day when I used to manage a web product for t it was how you would manage your card online. And one of the things we were able to replicate for our, our call center was the, you had the ability to go in and you could see the screen and you could, on the call, and walk the user through it. Now, what you weren't seeing is what that user was doing, right? But you would be in the same um, environment, if you will, on the call. And with the chat bot, you do get the ability, because at the end of the day, you get the technology sitting there. You can literally see what that user is doing on the screen as you're walking through it. It's a little bit more intuitive. This starts mm-hmm. to get interesting. What what we don't want to do is is just replace another bad system. So you think of IVR. God, I hate IVR. We don't want to replace IVR and the concept of it, right, with the chatbot. But I think being able to to physically see what that user's seeing and guide them and give them a better path, I love that idea of where this can go. Still mm-hmm. early days, but I like that.
0: I think the you know the idea that the best use of user interface is going to be no interface. The idea that essentially a chat prompt is going to be the way in which you communicate with things. I think is a a great thing to do in the way that. I can kind of say anything to you guys, so long as it's vaguely English, you're going to be able to interpret it to a certain degree in terms of kind of where I'm going with these things. But actually, the sophistication that sits behind most of these is is not really there. Similar to my my frustrations with, like you say, using Siri to phone my wife on the train, it ain't quite there yet. So, are we just trying to sort of uh, you know get excited about this one soon? What, what do you think? Um, that's
4: why it should be less artificial and more intelligent. I think before jumping all into tech, you have to nail the personality first. The to, pers- get, to, personality to get rid the of, of all the frustrations. Mm-hmm. You know, to sort of reduce the sickness out of the process. Not completely erase it because it's impossible.
0: Yeah, um, no, I think so. Almost trying to fix broken processes by making them a conversational UI ain't going to work, is it? So actually of. what you're saying is fix the processes rather than actually trying to fix the interaction. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense for me. I think there's,
1: there's there's two angles that I like that I like around chatbots. The first is uh, where you're already chatting. So if you're using Facebook Messenger or you're using WhatsApp or you know WeChat or whatever, the ability to or Slack for that matter, you know, the ability to add a bot-like interface to somewhere you already are already doing chat helps you access other functionality and, and do some really interesting things without changing contexts. So if I have a chatbot that, that I can you know, use to send money to someone or use to find out when my next train home is because I'm chatting with my wife and you know she can actually see when that, that is, um, then I think that's great. And, and that also ties in the use of rich graphical elements within the chat. It doesn't have to just be text. You can actually have text with then interface elements below which always bring the best of both worlds. And then I think that ties into the kind of second use case around or second um, paradigm around there's an area of uh, of actions that I want to take that aren't me typing something into Google and aren't me installing an app to do it. Yeah, They kind of live in between. It's that ad hoc once in a, once in a while activity that I think we see really well uh, in WeChat, for instance, where actually I can be out and about and want to uh, want to order flowers, am I going to, I could Google and eventually get to a website and eventually do something. I could download into Flora's app and go that way. But the ability to actually pull up something that then takes my context, works out where I am, what, what needs doing, and then provides me with the interface to get that activity done is great. And I think that there's this, there's this gray area between me pulling up a web interface and Googling it and webbing it and me in, installing an app that actually chatbots fill really nicely. So I think there's context, and I think there's some alternative to, to app-based uh, activities that the mm-hmm. chatbots are really interesting. Yeah. And the, the article sort of goes on to talk about kind of cognitive
0: load, really. You know, the, the idea that uh, until the beginning in the 21st century, the ratio of human data gathered versus data impact was very high. And actually, are we at the point now where we're reaching this sort of saturation of consumption where the amount of data is increasing so ex- exponentially that actually our old ways of processing these things can no longer cope with it. So are we at a point now where silly old brains just can't deal with the amount of data that we need to do these things? I know when we spoke to David Kerr at IBM, this was the whole point around Watson is it can ingest more data than any human can and therefore make greater prognosis around things like um, cancer diagnosis or any of these types of things in terms of doing it. So... But it, it feels like with all of that sort of grandiose view of actually where these things will be going, using it to chat to somebody about a current account feels like sort of an underwhelming uh, you know, execution. So, you know, again, are we just getting excited about nothing?
2: I think it still comes back to the, the, the user experience. Uh, if you're already using WhatsApp and you know you've got your, your banking channel on there type of thing, and say, oh, what's my account? It's the, the frictionless switching to make it easy is, uh, I find just interesting as I'm lazy. I don't want to go to my handles banking app, load it up because I've forgotten what I've got in the account and go, oh God, I really don't want to know that. Uh, but it, it's, it's just, uh, if I can get that information quickly and easily, just like a conversation, mm. yeah, that, that I personally find, find useful. Because the simplicity of language, and the complexity too, but the simplicity of a, of a conversation it's far better than any, any uh, sort of fancy UX you've got there.
1: It's interesting to compare it to command line interface. Because yeah. in the end, you know, you're talking about... Typing some command in, getting something back, you know, mm. very quickly, which arguably is like the oldest computer interface. Yeah, uh, it, it's just it's just the natural language processing that gets injected there, you know, with with more intelligence, mm. you know, behind it. But it's, it's that interpretation, isn't it? You know, Monzo,
0: you guys implemented IM for service, right? In terms of actually what you're doing in sure. it, and it's very good for creating a a sense of humanity behind a kind of a faceless service in terms of sort of doing things why are we trying to genericize that more by using artificial intelligence to do it rather than the the warmth or the humor or the interaction that actually a a human can bring to that
1: experience so i think that again this is one of those things where you watch the movies and you talk about chatbots and people instantly go to actually i want to have a chatbot that i can't tell the difference between it and another person but i don't think that's that's the way we go you know, I think that uh, a chatbot can be, you know, the ultimate in in assist in in an interface, uh, but it doesn't have to be like a person. You know, uh, it's one of those things where we're used to chatting with people, and therefore we assume that the best chatbot interface is like chatting with another person. And I'm not sure that's right. What do you think, Sam? Mm-hmm is the aim of chatbots
0: to replicate what humans are actually doing or do we think it should be moving to a, a kind of a, a
3: better state of actually interacting you know i I'm, I'm, I'm going a little bit different on some use cases cuz i'm completely di- dipping out of banking i'm going to my past right so my first job was on submarines which is just like what we do obviously the biggest pain in the ass about working on a submarine was there's no room so when, this was in the 80s, so when I wanted to fix something, I was usually in an incredibly tight space, and I was doing the electronics, I would then crawl out, look at the manual, which was massive, crawl back in, go, oh shit, crawl back out, read the manual again, right? If I had a bot that I could communicate with, and I had something similar like augmented reality, which was a glass, I'm coming back to Google Glass, I had her in my head, listen to me, it would definitely be a woman's voice in the submarine Carla yeah, um, <laughs> Johansson yes um, <laughs> my life in a submarine would have been so much better but what we've seen examples like that already with, with surgeries right with now with that, that, that idea of bl- we're blending a ton of things now when you, when you pull those together I, and, again, I, I don't think it's done in isolation. We're blending a ton of different technologies for those use cases. And I think looking at them individually is wrong, too. Mm. Because then we do replace IBR, which didn't do anything for yeah. me. I think you have to go across multiple areas of expertise and tie these out. So it is human-centered design, to your point. Oh, I just got... I just got a big thumbs up and a hallelujah. Oh, Sing hallelujah. something by Coldplay. There you go. <laughs> um,
2: another go question for me is: How come there's so many submariners in fintech? My <laughs> business partner, question. Partner, yeah. partner Clive was submariner in the 80s. Uh, the uh, is it uh, the guy at uh, Route 66? Is that submariner? Now yourself?
3: It's, we have uh, nothing to do. We sit for 90 days and <laughs> going, oh, my God, I want to get off this thing. So it's, it's a lot of time to come up with some good ideas, isn't it? Yeah. But I do think that, that it's looking holistically, right, at these solutions and how many things can we tie together. And we've talked about that, you know, the past hour or so, tying in AI, tying in actual humans hmm. as part of this, tying in the robotics, you know, tying in the end user, the customer themselves, and looking at this across all of those and not doing these solutions in isolation. Because when we do solutions in isolation, we get back to what we have today, which is we just repeat the crap we already have and are used to.
4: Hmm. So
3: I think that's you know, incredibly important w- when you're doing this.
4: Don't do things better, do better things.
3: And that sounds like a
0: fair summary wow. of this in terms of doing it. <laughs> so chatbots, not quite the answer I think everybody's wanting them to be. So maybe if we move
2: on. Sounds like room 101. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we put chatbots well and truly in room 101 right now. <laughs> Well, that's it. We've come to the end of another awesome episode of Fintech Insider. If you've liked what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast, review us on iTunes and befriend us on Facebook. That's all my fellow Fintech Insiders. Talk to you soon.